and welcome to episode 59 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well. I've been to Atlanta the last two weekends and saw numerous films, so I uh, am ready to review some new movies. Well, the first one we are doing has been uh, out on Netflix for quite a while, definitely generated a bit of buzz uh, over the last month or so. It is Don't Look Up, directed by Adam McKay, who has also directed Vice, The Big Short, (laughs) and Anchorman. Uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, Jonah Hill, and about 100 other people. It is about two astronomers who attempt to warn humanity about an approaching comet that will destroy human civilization, but face the roadblocks of indifferent media, incompetent government, and a populace addicted to social media and pop star drama. It originally premiered December 5th, was released wide on Netflix December 24th, and really mixed reviews a 49 on metacritic and a 56 on rotten tomatoes but despite that it has uh, been getting a lot of award nominations including a national board board of review top 10 film of the year uh four golden globe award nominations one sag award and unfortunately for some it seems like this is going to get a decent amount of oscar nominations I haven't heard your complete thoughts on this yet, but from what I can tell, you were not a fan. And actually, more than that, you actually really hated it. So I'll I'll give you a platform to start off so you can just vent. (laughs) I really hate this movie. Number one, it's just not funny to me. I very rarely laughed in the movie. It really wastes an incredible cast. I mean, not since it's a mad, 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 mad world has an incredible cast come together for a comedy. And politically, I agree with everything this film is saying. I think that climate change is the most pressing issue, the most important issue facing not just our country, the United States, but the entire world. I just think the film, the way I describe it, it's like the character Nelson Muntz from The Simpson going, ha ha, pointing at humanity for two hours and 18 minutes. It offers no solutions. It's just this smug, annoying, not funny satire that is just pointing and looking at, oh, look how stupid we are. And it doesn't offer any solutions. Uh, The satire is really kind of toothless. And just fundamentally, it's not funny to me. And the cast is just so wasted. I mean, Meryl Streep is not funny in the movie. Like, you know your movie's bad when Meryl Streep is wasted. She's And she can be really funny. I mean, the devil wears Prada, you know, death becomes her. She is a obviously great dramatic actress, but she can do comedy too. And I've never been a huge fan of Leonardo DiCaprio. And I do not buy character choices that happen in the film um i don't know that it would be too much of a spoiler but he is this married man with children he's this professor and scientist and he has an affair halfway through the movie and i just totally didn't buy that he would do that and i just feel like a lot of the characters are stereotypes uh, and caricatures But the satire is not strong enough to make that interesting. The only one who really is a believable character is Jennifer Lawrence. I thought she was the best in the film. Um, I will say I did find 
Mark Rylance character very funny, but it's like a Saturday Night Live character sketch. You know, it's yes. funny for five minutes. It was a basically. parody of a rich person. Right. He's basically like, like uh, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs meets yeah. Fred Rogers on the <laughs> autism spectrum. Uh, but I just found this film really grating and not funny. And I'd like, I could take, you know, I had some of the same problems with Vice, but I had uh, things I really liked about Vice. I think the performances were really strong in that. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale, Amy Adams, a really good cast. Steve Carell was uh, pretty good in that. And I just, I the problem I had with that movie too, though, is that I don't feel like laughing at Dick Cheney, or at least I don't feel like the film's tone worked. It was this smug, SNL, smartass, like kind of, it just, it annoyed me. It's like, I don't feel this kind of offhanded, sarcastic attitude about Dick Cheney or climate change. I just, I found it annoying and and it just it just rubbed me the wrong way uh, but don't look up uh it's interesting i i haven't actively tried to see all of adam mckay's films in a theater in the original release but i actually have yeah. i saw anchorman his first film and i love anchorman i'm a big fan of his early funny silly ones and i thought the big short was a really fine film but his last two i've had problems with and this to me is like by far his worst film well, I mean, his style also is a bit grating. It's like kind of like music video um, where it's like really quick cuts and like a lot of handheld and zoom ins and stuff like that. And after 20 minutes, I was like, this is going to go on for another two hours. <laughs> I was like, this and is going to give minutes. me a headache. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he was doing a lot of that in the big short and vice too, but um, it seemed to work better for the big short. How it was like semi schizophrenic and like jumping out from storyline to storyline with this like very fast paced, aggressive sort of editing style. But for this one, it just like, uh, I don't know. Like there was one where they're having a meeting with the president. It's just like, cut, 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 cut. And I'm just like, can we just let this breathe for a minute? Like, I feel like I'm being force fed what I'm supposed to feel. Well, he also has a style where he will do what's in the script and then he'll literally like throw out lines like a just line after line after line and he'll have the actors recite it off the top of their head after he's just yelled it out and the film feels very much like a extremely extended Saturday Night Live sketch and the film visually is not very good looking I mean some (laughs) of the special some of the special effects look really cruddy yeah yeah, and I mean, he has like really incredible people working behind the scenes on his movies. I mean, he has like like uh, Linus Sandgren shot it, the guy who's been doing Chazelle movies. Yeah, I mean, it's the, yeah, it's the guy who shot the most recent uh, Bond movie, Don't Look, uh, no, no Time to Die, yeah. and he's also shot First Man, La La Land. He shot some of uh, David Russell's films. <laughs> you could barely tell from watching it, <laughs> right? And then, like, his editor of the film, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, Hank Corrin, who is the editor of The Tree of Life. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, a bunch of Malik films, Song to Song, The New World, you know. He These shot people three. are being subjective to the raid of Adam McKay. <laughs> I know. It's interesting because you're talking about the schizophrenic editing. He also, his first film he ever edited is uh, Natural Born Killers. But that film, to me, works that yeah. style. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to me, the number one thing is like Anchorman's funny. 
Step yeah. Brothers is funny. Don't Look Up is not funny to me. And not only is it not funny, it's annoyingly not funny. It's like trying yeah. to be super important. And I agree with what it's saying. It's just, it it makes it almost in a, it, it so annoyed me. It made me want to like go burn coal. It made me want to like <laughs> uh, buy a gas guzzler giant truck, you know. The environment is your enemy. <laughs> I know. And I just think that it's kind of almost criminal how much the cast is waste. I mean, don't you think a lot of the actors are, it's just like, let's just. Get oh, I mean, biggest. none of the characters are three-dimensional at all. And it's, you know, the most sort of obvious um, sort of jokes are like Jonah Hill plays the chief of staff and someone's like, Oh, what is, what are you like his, her, her son. And it's like, Oh, he is her son. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're not and he's not fun. No. And he's like, not funny in the movie. Past the sort of obvious satire for any of these things. Like Ariana Grande plays a pop star who's, you know, just the idiot pop star. Like there's no sort of nuance to any of these characters. They're just basically like what you see at the beginning is is who they are. They don't really change. They never like question their behavior really. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is the only one who gave like a three-dimensional sort of performance. Um, the DiCaprio character was uh, was just sort of strange. And like a big part of it becomes like, oh, this astronomer is like really sexy. And it's like, why didn't people realize this before? <laughs> it's like, he's been Leonardo DiCaprio the whole time. It's like, why are, this is the first time anyone's noticed that he's like handsome. It's like, that was weird to me. One of my main issues with Leonardo DiCaprio of me not thinking he's one of the great actors of this generation is that it's not that he's a bad actor, but like half of his films, he's miscast because you're like, why is this incredibly handsome guy that should be on the cover of G GQ? Why yeah. is he playing Jagger Hoover? Why is he in The Revenant? Like he's no, just No, you can't like buy him as a normal person. Right. Like I can Even buy like him. Tom Hardy or other, you know, very attractive guys can like, you know, ugly themselves. Not even necessarily that, but just can like pass as someone living in the real world. Right. Are you like, just are like this guy's dating models like this guy isn't a Michigan State professor like I think some of his best performances I think he's really good in the Tarantino films because I can imagine him as you know a movie star I can imagine him as this dapper you know slave owner mm -hmm. and I can imagine and I think Wolf of Wall Street's one of his best performances I'm not saying he can only play like rich assholes but <laughs> but he's good at it <laughs> I know. And like, I always thought that one of the most underrated films and certainly performances he ever was in and gave was the revolutionary road. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like, do you, I mean, I don't know that's too much of a spoiler, but he has an affair part with the movie. And I just didn't buy like, why would his character, like, he seems like he would love his wife and child. And like, it just, it doesn't make sense that he would just go off and have this well, affair. and i mean and the it seems like such a constructed sort of plot device because even the wife and his two kids are like barely given any screen time and we like don't even really know who they are aside from extensions of the leonardo DiCaprio character and that's basically the function they serve the whole movie i mean that's pretty much every character though just is there to like serve a function in the plot except for i mean jennifer lawrence's character i think is the only one that has any sort of real three-dimensional humanity and that's basically just because she's like freaking out <laughs> it's like okay i can understand that <laughs> like oh she's freaking out but uh do you I mean, understand like, my do you understand my criticism though that the film is just kind of this toothless sat satire that doesn't offer any solutions like it no, just is of like course not. And, and then at the end when it's like supposed to be emotionally poignant they're having 
like a final meal together right before the apocalypse. I was just like, I don't care about any of these people. <laughs> it's like nothing they're saying is like making me concerned that any of these people are about to die. And I mean, it is just sort of like a an unremittingly sort of like bleak view of everything without any sort of like, there were basically no positives uh, like put forward from anybody um, that would make you like have any sort of faith or belief in humanity. And I mean, it's one of those things where if like, if this is really what you believe, Adam, okay, like, why are you even involved in society? <laughs> like, if this is like what you think people are, uh, that like, there's no hope for anybody. Everyone's just so stupid and, you know, obsessed with their phones and everything. I mean, it, I wouldn't say that the movie was like never funny. There's a couple like parts where I found myself chuckling. There's the guy who plays the, um, the NASA uh representative the african-american guy i hadn't seen the actor in yeah rob morgan i hadn't seen him in many stuff but he was funny but there are also some jokes like uh jennifer lawrence's character is like fixated on a nato general who made them pay for snacks and it was just like adam mckay must have thought this was so funny because he keeps going back to it and back to it and it's like if this is the best stuff you have like this just isn't good um but it's you know this is being marketed as like the ultimate sort of farce with this all-star cast and it's like a bucket of laughs and has such important stuff to say and it just doesn't live up to that at all i mean it might have been like more successful if it was done with like less of a stellar cast if it was just sort of like you know snl players and stuff like that um but the sort it should of have like, been more sa- it's like it should have been more savage it's like it does it tries to be this kind of goofy comedy and it's like it needed to be darker and more savage or it needed to just be more fun like actually funny <laughs> actually funny yeah no definitely yeah. i mean it's not even really that savage because all of the satire is like so just first impression obvious sort of stuff like the Meryl Our phones Street- are destroying society <laughs> yeah like- and the meryl streep trump stand-in is just like so obvious I mean, I don't think she's funny in the movie. She's no, wasted. there's this like plot element with the Supreme Court nominee that I just was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> but I, yeah, it was just totally toothless. And even stuff um, that like on paper, it's like, this is like, I could believe this would happen in our completely messed up society. Yeah. The way the film dramatizes it or, you, you know, tries to satirize it, it just doesn't work. It just feels obvious. Even if it does seem like I could see this happening, yeah. the way that the film presents it is just not interesting or yeah. funny. I, th- I mean, I, obviously, like, you know, we all admire writer-directors and movies are like a, a good, you know, medium for a singular artistic vision to express itself. But it seems like Adam McKay was just like too personally involved in, all aspects of it you know it's produced directed and written by adam mckay and it's like a pretty um ambitious sort of like critique it's like critiquing all aspects of modern society in the face of this like you know globally catastrophic event and it just seems like it was too much for just like adam mckay to do on his own but he obviously had the confidence that he could do it Um, well i mean you know that he had this split with will ferrell a few years ago where you know in his early movies were very involved with will ferrell you know anchorman they had a production team together i think right sanchez there was that uh basketball show that's going to premiere on hbo soon and will ferrell thought he was going to play one of the main characters and uh Adam McKay gave it to someone else and didn't even tell Will Ferrell. Yeah. And there was other things that happened behind the scenes, but I just feel like 
he has to have people that are really good collaborators like Will Ferrell and Steve Carell, John C. Riley. Yeah. <laughs> and when he just throws these incredibly talented A-list movie stars, you know, even if you get like half of them and put them in one movie, it's just, you got to have the material and the, you know, it's like his kind of slapdash, you know, let's just have all these funny scenes. Well, if he's really like throwing out lines and having them like, repeat them it's just like you really think you're that funny adam okay that it's like everything you say is genius but it's like it works okay in Step Brothers and anchorman because that's kind of the style there are no stakes and they're like there are no stakes to the story it's just i know i remember i remember a film critic said about anchorman and i think this is a you know a positive thing it's not a criticism a negative way he said that anchorman is like one of the few movies since the marx brothers where nothing in it matters at all everything is just to get a joke like yeah. there's no like real stakes it's all just like pure comedy and yes. he's taking that style and he's trying to make this really serious satire and it doesn't work well, it's supposed to be like a call to arms, like, you know, climate change is happening. Let's do something about it. But like, there really but isn't he, that even in the movie. Like, <laughs> when he's just and he's just like being smug and annoying about like, look how stupid we are. But I don't even know what I when I say like the, he offers no solutions. It's just that the way he presents how stupid and how there's this major existential threat facing our whole planet. And we're just going to roll over and let it kill us. <laughs> And he, the way he's just kind of smug and it just annoys me the way his attitude in the film. I just feel like he like offering solutions doesn't mean like he needs to like, you know, have a 10 point plan. Like this is how we stop climate change. But like the movie needs to do something to like inspire someone who's on the fence to be like, this is serious. We should do something about it. Well, and also the point is that the the words climate change, it, the, it's, it's never not even mentioned. Said, yeah, right. It's obvious. So, yeah, that's, that's the about. question of like if the comet is actually really a good stand-in for climate change, because I mean, <laughs> climate change isn't something you can necessarily see until it's too late. Well, like a comet is like obvious; it's there. I it was hard for me to believe like how people were in the movie denying like even the existence of the comet i was like this isn't like something that's like i mean obviously but you know we can say like you know there are covid deniers and stuff like that but even those things like you can't see it they aren't physical objects like a comet is a real physical thing (laughs) like that anyone with the you know uh any sort of telescope can can see it you know i'm sure that deniers would have telescopes and they'd be able to see it i just well then again there's things that you know, Trump has said that are out and out lies and there's like yeah. video and transcript proof that, it, that yes. what he's saying is incre- 100% wrong. But, but those still, things oh, well, aren't as obvious as a comment <laughs> that's going to destroy oh. the whole planet. I mean, I mean, the stakes are just so big of that, that it's not something, I mean, he has such a bleak view of humanity. It's like, yes, yes, this would happen. People will deny it until the very end until like there's, you know. It's you know who I would have liked to have seen done this film is like Alexander Payne. Because yeah. he would have made it like interesting characters and he would have balanced the humor and that actually had emotional stakes and they would have felt like real people. Like, yes. I think that it's his most flawed film, but you ever see his most recent film, Downsizing? No, I didn't. But I, that one was a big box office bomb. But right. I think people who actually saw it were like, you know, this isn't as bad as people were making it up yeah. with it. I mean, that movie's interesting because it has the like, what if every, you know, what if people could shrink themselves down? And that's like the first 
30 minutes of the movie and then he's shrunk down he's like and then it just be like oh i'm shrunk and my life's so miserable <laughs> and then it's like goes on for another hour and 40 minutes and that's what's kind of interesting about the movie but see i always feel like he uh has really interesting well-drawn characters and amazing actors in his well, and films. the comedy like emerges from the characters and the situations while this right. one seems like it's trying too hard to be funny or a like lot of, outrageous you and you don't feel like they're real people they feel like caricatures you know yeah like i don't like i just don't understand leonardo DiCaprio's care like he doesn't seem like a believable person like consistently like he starts out and you're like okay he's this character and then he just i'm like why is he making these decisions <laughs> it's like, why is he here now okay it's yes it was very much yeah i mean i we're just gonna talk ourselves silly about it's this, way too but, long no yeah, yeah, for- it is too long um it's one of those things with netflix movies where there's just something off visually about them sometimes i watched this on a home tv maybe it would look different if i saw it in a theater but i I saw it in the theater and it just has this kind of it's like a sheen this sterile gloss to it is a way to put it maybe (laughs) yeah where it just feels it just feels like every and i and if i'm not 100 percent, i could look it up or but he i think he's a big uh proponent of i think he he shot all this no, he shot all of his films on 35 mm. It's shot on 35. Well, but it doesn't barely tell. Like it. I know. It's just uh, it looks it, look there's good. a real just plasticity to the whole thing. And um, I mean, <laughs> it really lost me with about like an hour and 45 minutes into it. There's like this, you know, last chance fundraiser thing where they have the Ariana Grande character do a song. And the like whole song plays. We hear like four minutes of the song, and the song is terrible. <laughs> so I'm right. just like, what are we doing? Like, is this just like an Ari- Ariana Grande vehicle now all of a sudden? Um, and, and it like, like wasn't Timothy, funny. I don't know Tim- what its purpose was. Either. And Timothy Chalamet shows up and he's wasted in it. Yeah, he's just like some. It seems like that character was, you know, just like there. And he's like, oh, we can get Chalamet. Let's put Chalamet in it. And then like the yeah. character was like slightly expanded because they had a bigger actor. Um, but Generally, yeah, I think this is a pretty weak movie that unfortunately is is getting a lot of attention. And I would be probably, really disappointed if it gets nominated for Best Picture or a. I think it's going to get director screenplay. and screenplay. I'd, I I would I really <laughs> don't think it's ride in the streets. I mean, it will be crazy if Adam McKay gets three Oscar nominations for Best Director, three films in a row, and then like you know. A billion directors I could list have never been nominated, like David Cronenberg and Lars yeah. von Trier and Godard. <laughs> you know, no, it would be just, like this is a joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it's I. I really don't think he'll get nominated for best director because the film is so divisive. This does I think seem like the sort of movie Hollywood sort of like would want to bestow, you know, garlands upon, wouldn't you think? Because it's such a star-studded thing, and it's got Leo in it, it's got Kate Blanchett in it. I don't Meryl think Street. any of. I don't think any actors will get nominated. I'm pretty sure. No, no, but I mean, it's just, I mean, a lot of of thing about the Oscars is just like, it's a movie that fits the sort of movie that they think should be awarded stuff. And because it's, you know, political and it's about climate change, you know, right. (laughs) It might get more attention than it deserves. And that's a real shame. Because it's like people should, I mean, the thing that annoys me about the talk around the movie is that there's, I think most people don't feel this way, but 
just because I really hate the movie and I'm critical of it does not mean that, oh, I'm a science denier. That yeah. you know, I'm saying it's to me the number one issue facing our planet. It's the number one political issue. I'm just saying the movie as a work of art, as a film yeah. does not work. It's not funny. It's not effective. And you the wish points- there was a better messenger. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's like I listened to an interview with him uh, on the movies that made me podcast and he was talking about how much he loves, you know, Dr. Strangelove and Network and A Face in the Crowd. But like those movies have emotional stakes and like Network is such a powerful film and Don't Look Up just feel even though like the whole world is at stake. The stakes could not be higher. I know, but it does. It feels so kind of throwaway and so like. It, it seems just uh, silly. It, no, I, the, 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 it's silly. The movie's too yeah. silly, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like, it's flippant. I mean, like, yeah. smug. That's is, a good word. It's flippant. Yeah. Flippant and smug. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that and move on. <laughs> Don't right. look now. I mean, I, I wouldn't, like, you know, say, like, don't watch this movie because if you are a Netflix subscriber and, you know, are just interested in watching a movie, it's not something terrible would, to put on but i would say unless you're like an oscarologist completist like i gotta see all the ones that are gonna get nominated. like it's to me a total waste of time like it's absolute. it's like i would not you know walk across my living room to watch it <laughs> it's one of the worst films of the year to me wow what a great scathing uh indictment of the movie to leave that up Let's... i mean I, i'll just say i think anchorman is like one of the funniest films of the century like I love. Anchorman. Oh yeah, I mean, I really Step like Brothers, Talladega Nights. Yeah. I mean, he's made really, really funny yeah. movies. And but... like a lot of his movies, uh, if you do watch this two-hour and eighteen-minute movie, do stay to the very end. There's multiple credit sequences. Yeah, you know. I don't. I just don't uh, like this shift where he's gone from being the guy who makes like really funny, like the best Will Ferrell movies, to now he's like some. And- weird mix between like Godard and Karl Marx. <laughs> it's What's like... also it annoys me too that like. You know, this movie's way too long. Like the Anchorman sequel was two hours. Like there's yeah. no reason for an Anchorman film to be two hours. Like he's yeah. too self-indulgent too. Oh, definitely. I mean, right. we can only see where it's going to go from here because I'm do sure think it's just going to get more and more self-indulgent. I do think he's funny in interviews. There was this one really incredible He's obviously moment. a smart guy who's like quick gonna, and, yeah. and funny, but. I was going to say there was this, uh, I like this part in an interview where um, he was at a, I think it was like the DGA uh, when he was nominated previously. And uh, he had this like tall chair that he was sitting in. And he said to the moderator uh, and to the audience, the reason I sit in this chair uh, is because it actually belonged to Akira Kurosawa and he actually died in this chair. And I all, I'm just kidding. I have a back problem. I, have to have <laughs> I thought that was really funny. He's like, like Akira Kurosawa died in this chair and I always sit in it, but no, I mean, like I do find him funny and you know, he can be flippant in interviews, but like just when he, you know, his last two movies I've had real problems with and this one is by far his worst. Well, I would, I mean, uh, obviously, who am I to tell him what to do? But I would just like him to make another movie that isn't so political, because that seems to be like his sort of primary thing now is making like extremely political. Well, I don't mind quote unquote comedies. I don't mind making political films. I just want to do them better and not being. I know, but he obviously isn't capable of that. Well, I like, see, I think The Big Short was uh, by far the best of his, like, three recent films where he's being more political. But Big Short, big difference from this one is that's an adaptation. 
So I think he got to lean on, I mean, because some of the best parts of that movie are literally just uh, people telling us like financial stuff. Like, and I think he leans on that really well, but when it's just all Adam McKay, all from straight from Adam McKay's dome without any sort of thing to lean on, I don't think he's. And he does have a co-screenwriter on this, but it seems very much from him. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So big thumbs down for me. Don't look it up. (laughs) I'm going to be looking down. Um, So the next movie, uh, a little less divisive. um, Also has Kate Blanchett. Yes. And Ron Perlman. Yes. Ron Perlman was, I did not expect to see him in Don't Look Up. Um, This movie is Nightmare Alley, directed by Guillermo del Toro, uh, who has also done The Shape of Water, uh, Best Picture winner, uh, Crimson Peak, Pan's Labyrinth, and Hellboy, um, starring Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Willem Dafoe, and a good deal of other notable actors. It is uh, Bradley Cooper plays a charismatic and ambitious carnival worker with a mysterious past who takes dangerous risks to boost his career in 30s, 40s. Um, it's, it's funny, at the end of it's in Buffalo. I think it's great <laughs> if he's set in, in Buffalo because I was like, where is this movie? Is it somewhere in the Midwest? It's like, oh no, it's Buffalo, New York. Um, originally premiered December 1st, 2021, a US wide release of December 17th, a Metacritic score of 69 a Rotten Tomatoes score of 80. This is also in the National Board of, Board of Review Top 10 Films of the Year and also has eight Critics' Choice Award nominations. Um, have you seen the, the Tyrone Power one? Yes, but I think we should set up what this film is exactly. So it's based on a William Lindsay Gresham novel. Which is and from Del- 1946. Yeah, and I think it's important to say, like the Coen Brothers film of True Grit, uh, this is not really a remake of the first film version. It is just a new adaptation of the novel. Del Toro said that he was with Ron Perlman in the early 70s, I mean, in the early 90s, uh, talking about uh, what films Ron Perlman could act in. And they were watching Elmer Gantry and he said, I'd love to play a character like that. And he said, another one, there's this film called Nightmare Alley. I'd love to play the lead in a movie of that. And Del Toro had not seen the film and he couldn't get a copy of it easily. So he got the novel and read it. And he was like, my gosh, how could they have made this into a film in 1947? (laughs) And the answer is they really couldn't. They had to censor it somewhat and gloss over certain aspects. So suggestions and coded language and stuff like that. So he did actually end up seeing the 47 film, uh, you know, a little while later. And he really likes that film. But he said that you could make three or four or more versions based on the novel. And his film is just he, they, they didn't even watch the 47 film yeah. when they're making the new one. And the film is written by him and his wife of a few years, uh, film critic uh, Kim Morgan. And I watched the film, the original film, before I saw the new one. But I really want to go back and read the original novel because I felt like the problem I had with the new one is that it's playing with the genre of film noir. It has some of the conventions and some of the aesthetics, the stylistic devices, but 
Art Deco really, interiors. <laughs> right. It kind of, Del Toro himself has said in interviews that he's kind of doing kind of a more of a deconstruction of the film noir. And what makes the original film, which is not perfect because there are aspects that you can tell there's probably more seedy and controversial and explicit content in the original novel. The ending, I think, is also pretty different, right? Right. It's kind of has this really kind of eerie and provocative ending and then happy ending like the last (laughs) 30 seconds. Um, But the original is such a film noir. It is through and through a film noir. And I feel like Del Toro taking this novel and like deconstructing it, like taking, not making it a full on film noir, even though he's having it released in a black and white version that's in theaters now and a number of theaters, I feel like the film being in color and he said in interviews that he didn't really want to make a out and out film noir. He wanted to take the story and the characters and make it a period piece and make it Mm -hmm. more uh, character driven. But what made the original film work as well as it does, which and I quite like the original film is that it's such a good film noir. And I mm-hmm. just honestly felt like as beautiful looking, you know, the production design and the costumes. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, but I just felt like the film was kind of lifeless. Yeah. It just felt like the characters didn't really feel like real people. And like that, you can get away with that if you're really leaning into it being a film noir. They can be- They're sort of, of types. Right. But when you're trying to have, when you take these really incredible actors, like, I feel like I'm a lot different from a number of critics. Like, I think Kate Blanchett just like, isn't a very good film at all. Like everyone else thinks she's like, oh my gosh, how is she, Mm -hmm. you know, she's like amazing. And it's just, I feel like part of it is the one who played her in the original is like 10 times better. Yeah, And, and it's funny because Tyrone Power is like so perfectly cast in the original and I think Bradley Cooper is quite good in the movie but I just feel like there's I just felt the film was kind of lifeless I don't know I was kind of disappointed in this but I'll say that I do want to go back and read the original novel and actually I think go and watch the black and white version and see if my opinion changes yeah having seen the original film and then just seeing this one it paled in comparison see I still haven't seen the original um, I've had it like DVR'd for a really long time, but I, I haven't gotten around to watching it. So I actually knew very, very little about like what actually happens in this movie when I went to see it. So I was really surprised by how dark some of the elements of it were. Um, and I was, when I was watching it, like you said, I was like, they really made a movie in the forties out of this story. <laughs> I was like, this seems like almost impossible to think about because, you know, every movie back then was sort of like regulated by the production code. So you know, you couldn't have too much cursing or sexual violence or, you know, sexuality or violence not put together. So, um, but I think you are correct about some of the characters um, not really being as fully realized. And because it's not just a film noir that that's, you can't really get away with it the same way you could um, if you were making it uh, in a film noir sort of style where, you know, there are sort of types, there is the film, the femme fatale, there's the uh, lead character who you're not really sure about. I think that's especially true in this new one about the Rooney Mara character um, who doesn't really get to do much besides just be like the innocent pretty face who you know is being destroyed by this dark world Bradley Cooper's bringing her into. I thought that that character um, 
was not what it should have been and didn't really do much besides serve a sort of plot role. Um, I would say Rooney Mara has one of the great faces yeah. in film. Like she, she could be a silent film actress. She has yeah, she's going to play movie. Audrey Hepburn in an upcoming movie, which, yeah. you know, that's the casting you hear about. And you're like, oh, I'm OK with that. Like Rooney Mara can yeah. play Audrey Hepburn. And um, she does really good films, Carol, A Ghost Story. And, you know, she's done, you know, really good films. But I just feel like, I mean, it, the, I have to say that the character in the original film is also kind of like one of the least, least interesting, interesting. characters. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the actor, Joan Blondell was in the original. And there's just, there's so many good characters and actors in the original. And I just feel like this film... I don't know. It just, it also has this weird thing. There's, it's the same thing I had with West Side Story. Like, even though if you pointed and like I was on set and was told like, like 95% of this is done without CGI, there's yeah, just like, it still sort movies, of looks like it. I know it's like there's just so much like color timing or st- I don't know what it is. There's just like, well, there's it's so especially much- true in West Side Story where it seems like sometimes the people aren't actually in the location that like they're even if they were me. Yeah, where I, they're like I, a plane I, removed from it. <laughs> like right. They're popping out like it's like semi 3D. And like it's like sometimes, you know, with Nightmare Alley, it was just like I bet there was a large percentage of it actually there, you know, with real sets and costumes. I mean, Del Toro said in an interview is that he wanted it to be filmed outside, actually, because the tense, you know, the billowing, it's almost like a lung uh, and that you really can't replicate that on a stage. Well, I thought that was the strongest part of it. it was like the first hour which is basically entirely set in this one carnival space. And you sort of learn about the different acts and the way they manipulate the customers. And, you know, like everyone sort of has an image of carnies as just being like dirty and, you know, they'll like stab you for a buck. So it was interesting to see that sort of world. And when it turned into the sort of like urban um, sort of like high stakes swindling, I was less interested in that than I was in the sort of first hour where you have, like a really like a big cast of characters where you have like Willem Dafoe and Ron Perlman and Tony Collette and David Strathairn and, you know, uh, some other actors whose names I don't know. And when it's, you know, that big ensemble, I thought that was really, really good. But when it just focused down on Bradley Cooper, Rooney Mara, Kate Blanchett, and like the sort of Mark uh, Bradley Cooper's going after, I thought it dragged a little bit for like the final hour. Well, I taught, Dublin Dimnity in a film history class last year and it's one of my 10 favorite films of all time mm-hmm. and that movie you know you could debate you know is the Maltese Falcon the first film noir what's count you know uh, but a lot of people consider Dublin Dimnity to be certainly one of the first mm-hmm. and the thing that I love so much about that movie there's this enigma at the heart of it as why do the main characters do what they do? Yeah. It doesn't really seem like they love each other or that they really <laughs> even want the money. So yeah. why do they do it? <clears throat> and it's like, it's like the compulsion they have to do it is what drives them. And I feel like, well, Del Toro, he takes these film noir characters and he tries to make you actually care and have like ex- explainable reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. But what makes the original film work is that it's set there aren't answers genre. there's the, it's like the enigma of like the the yeah. film noir genres like what motivates these people this greed and this grift 
And when you're actually, it's not that you don't care about the characters in the original, but it's like their hard boiledness. You're sort of supposed and, to be removed from them. Right. You're and not that, supposed to be like, way, identify with this. You're supposed to be like, oh, look at these. But people. in a weird way, the conventions of film noir, it's like, I actually really do care about Fred McMurray's character and Barbara Stanwyck's character yeah. by them being aloof and hard to read. Like that makes it compelling. It makes you yeah. question why. And I think with the original Nightmare Alley, you're not. Is, is the stuff with his dad in the original? No. I thought that was like utterly confounding. I was like, what is going on with this stuff yeah, I with mean, the dad? <laughs> I will say though, um, because the, I mean, really the, the original has like a really good ending, except like literally like the last the 30 last, seconds. Yeah. It's like, but um, the last like three minutes of the new one's really good. Yes. <laughs> it's really yeah. good. Yeah. No, and I knew like, it was wow. coming. I knew it was going to come, but um, I just feel like, and also don't you think that the film, like I said, I do want to see the black and white version. It would have been better in black and white. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the colors are just so like lush and gorgeous. And I guess you could say that that doesn't necessarily play to the advantage of the movie, but it really was nice to look at. Um, if we're just going to be as basic as that. Um, but even though it still had some of the problems I with West Side Story that it's like. Looks sort of movies, fake. I know it's, it's like, it's so lush, but it just feels still like there's something well, uh, Kate Blanchett's office definitely was like, this isn't a real place. Like, this is something a production designer created. Like, people don't right. sit on these chairs. People don't work at this desk. So there can, I be a, can I be a film professor nerd and point something out? Uh, sure. It, so you notice there is a scene in an alleyway. Okay, the film's called Nightmare Alley, where there's uh -huh. a cr cross and it has Jesus saves on it. But the letters are burnt out and it says us saves. And it's like, you know, should, you know, we can only trust in people, but uh -huh. can we trust people? I, don't know, I thought <laughs> I, I, it can't be, you know, it has to be deliberate that. Oh, us, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And there's all, I mean, I've heard a number of interviews with Del Toro. He was on NPR today on Monday, the day we're recording this. He was on Mark Maron's podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, he's been on a lot of different interviews and he was saying that, you know, he's very eloquent talking about his films. There's, a bunch of circles in the film there's the circle of the eye that's on his blindfold there's mm -hmm. the circle that he goes into to retrieve the geek there's the circle on that baby in the jar that mm -hmm. looks like a third eye uh there's there's visual i mean the film is very visually interesting mm -hmm. um but i feel like there's just kind of this hollowness to the movie i feel like you know, I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of Del Toro's overall. I, I mean, I think Pan's Labyrinth is a masterpiece. It's one of the yeah. best fantasy films ever made. But that film feels so alive, and it it manages to ground these flights of fancy. And this film, there is nothing fantasy in it. There's nothing science fiction. I mean, mm -hmm. the film somewhat borders on a horror, but I wouldn't call it a horror film. Yeah, Everything it's more like a thriller. Yeah, and everything that happens in the film could happen, but there just seems like this kind of, I, I, there was like this detached quality to it that I don't know. It just I, I, I wasn't involved with it, and and also like don't look up. It's two and a half. It's right at two and a half hours. It's too. Long. It was long. I when it was getting like, I didn't think it was going to be that long. So I actually like was going to see another movie right afterwards, and I missed the beginning of the next one because I was like, oh wow, this is still going. 
Um, so yeah, that is definitely, it, it tests your patience, especially um, in the sort of second half of it. But we haven't talked too much about Bradley Cooper. I thought this was a very different sort of role than what he's typically done. Um, and he, I thought he was good at being sort of enigmatic while also uh, charismatic and also like little sort of suggestions that, oh, this person may really be violent. But um, I, I thought he was really good. Interestingly, Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be in it originally, and it would have really three actors in Don't Look Up. I think it's because <laughs> he was doing Don't Look Up. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's funny because I don't know that I've ever seen a film with Tyrone Power besides the original Nightmare Alley. Oh, really? My head. Um, You've never seen and- The Mark of Zorro? No. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> but he's so good in the original. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. Part of it's like I saw the original film. And then, like within the forty-eight hours, I saw the you new saw one. This it one? was so yeah. fresh on my head, and it's not like every you know new. And like we said, it's really not a remake of the film. Yeah. So I almost feel like, with a caveat, my kind of mix. I mean, I wasn't bored by the movie. I was just kind of not as involved in it as I thought I would. I wasn't as. Do you think you would have liked it more if you hadn't seen the old one right before it? I think I would have liked it more if I had read the novel first, even yeah. if I had watched the original film first. Um, but I think that it's hard to. You like this better than Don't Look Up, though, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly, you know, really, it's really do, do, well. Do directed. you think this is, is deserves the sort of critical and awards attention? It's no. gotten so well, I mean, far. it only has a 69 on Metacritic. Like, I know, but it is a National Board Review top 10 movie. I, I think it could get nominated for Best Picture, and I think that Del Toro would be like, I don't think he's going to get a nomination, but I think he would be like right on the cusp again. Like, mm-hmm. I think if they released like what would six and seven and eight be. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I just think that, um, I mean, I honestly think that Bradley Cooper should get nominated more for Licorice Pizza for supporting actors yeah. uh, than this. But um yeah, like I, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, I don't know. I haven't been especially blown away by anything he's done really in the last ten years. Um, Crimson Peak, I thought was pretty underwhelming, and The Shape of Water, I like, I liked it. It wasn't a Best Picture winner. It wasn't in my top ten that year. Yeah, either. but I, uh, so I think at this point, it's it's you know, I I think he's failing to a certain extent to justify the like place he has in the firmament of you know, greatest living directors, obviously by doing Pan's Labyrinth and like Kronos and some of his earlier stuff. The Devil's stuff. Backbone. Yeah, The yeah. Devil's Backbone. I, and I, like, I really, I mean, I'm not a comic book film guy, but I really like his Hellboy movie. Yeah. Um, and I also, have to, I have to say, I quite like Blade too. I don't know that anyone else likes it. <laughs> I don't I mean, think I've I, even seen it. Yeah, but um, yeah, but what, I mean. What I, would you say his last three haven't necessarily been as strong as his earlier stuff? I mean, The Shape of Water is a really good film. I just didn't, it, it, there's, it's one of those where I just, there's other films of his and other films that came out that year that I liked even more. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah. it's well, like, I, I think it, also by having compared that to Pan's Labyrinth where they're both sort of fairy tale like And for me, Pan's Labyrinth just like totally blows it out of the water that it's, so, it's one of those ones where because he made such an incredible movie in the sort of fairy tale kind of horror kind of <laughs> romance genre that the one he made uh that actually won best picture for me felt very underwhelming in comparison 
Well, I think, I mean, one of my friends uh, watched Casino recently for the first time. And the thing I say about Casino is that it's not as good as Goodfellas, but there's like 25 films ever made that are better <laughs> that are as good as good, yeah. So <laughs> Casino, as the kids say, totally slaps. I mean, yeah. it's awesome. Uh, so, I mean, Pan's Labyrinth is to me like very high in the list of best films of that decade and of this whole century. Yeah, so of the far. century so far. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best fantasy films ever. And to me, it's like by far the best film he's done. Even though I really do like The Devil's Backbone, I would say that's like his second best. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Nightmare Alley, I just felt like was an exquisitely made movie on a design level, production design and costumes and the look of it. Um, I do like that, you know, a $60 million adult movie was made. I mean. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also like Scorsese wrote it, talking about Scorsese, he wrote an article saying, please go see this film. Like it really did bad at the box office. Yeah. I think 15 million off 60 million budget. I know. Um, It's like, I know it's. Which is like really bad. I know. But it's like how, you know, the film, I mean, like Mary Steenburgen, the film has like four it, it has like six, six or seven oscar winners or nominees the director's previous film won best picture and best director mm-hmm. you know and it's gotten fairly good reviews so it's just kind of sad that it's i mean like as as kind of mixed as i am on the film you go see the movie though i mean it's worth yeah if you're it. yes if you're like a fan of cinema and like seeing you know good contemporary cinema in theaters this is definitely one that you should seek out Um, and uh, as we're recording this uh on monday the last day of january it is supposed to be on both hulu and hbo max starting uh the next day on february 1st i think see so that's what's making like we can hardly even really judge movies strictly based on box office anymore. It's we're in a very confusing time because like, who knows, maybe it'll be like, you know, the most streamed thing on HBO max next month, but it'll still be considered a failure based on its box office results. So um, we're just yeah. in a very strange time. <laughs> uh, but it's like but Spider-Man, from- Spider-Man makes like the more money than anything ever. And everything else is like pales and way in comparison. Well, also because Spider-Man is literally like 50% of, <laughs> of screens in America right now. I know. Um, but from one international Spanish speaking director to another, we go from Mexican Guillermo del Toro to Spaniard Pedro Almodovar with his latest movie, parallel mothers or madres parallelas if you if you want to show off your spanish um he has also done uh his last movie was pain and glory which um was nominated for best foreign language film i think and actually was it also nominated for best director for best actor for okay that's it yeah and uh, penelope cruz had a um supporting role in that one this is yes uh, playing a mother (laughs) almodovar has really shown himself to have a serious fixation with mothers throughout his career um he's also done the skin i live in and wouldn't you know it a movie called all about my mother um this one is starring penelope cruz and melena smith along with a a lot of other uh spanish actors who most american audiences would not be too familiar with aside from the ones that you would recognize from other almodovar movies uh this movie is about the uh two pregnant women whose lives intersect when they share a hospital room um before their delivery and lives intertwine in unexpected and consequential ways 
after that. It originally premiered September 1st, 2021 at the Venice Film Festival and apparently was released wide December 4th, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm very confused as to this movie's release strategy. I, I think that it actually opened wide just this past weekend. Okay. Uh, it might have been the like last... New York and LA, December 24th. Right, because it's open fairly wide. Like I said, me yeah. and nowhere, South Carolina, it's playing in Spartanburg and Greenville. Uh, yeah. So and it this should possibly might come out on Netflix at some point. Who knows? Um, a Metacritic it's score of 88. It's exclusively in theaters as of right now. As of right now, yeah. And Ryan Tomatoes score 97. And it won Best Actress for Penelope Cruz at the Venice Film Festival and also received two Golden Globe nominations. Um, this one, before it even came out, the like big buzz was uh, Penelope Cruz is going to get nominated for Best Actress for this movie, which who knows if that's still actually going to happen. But um, I, I really hope she it does. does. <laughs> and that Lady Gaga does not for House of Gucci. That oh, my God. Joke. That would just feel like a joke. Um, I know. I mean, Penelope Cruz has been in what almost like ten of Almodovar's movies. I think that this is her seventh, and one of them she has a like almost cameo. Consistently excellent in his movies. Um, Volver, she got her first Oscar nomination for. Yeah, became the first Spanish actress ever nominated for an Oscar. Yes, and she again is excellent in this movie. Um, For people who aren't familiar with Almodovar's work. Uh, they're all set in Spain in a really weird way. <laughs> He's like Adam McKay. He started making <laughs> kind of outrageous comedies. Yeah. And not that his films have gotten like overtly political, but he's got he's done more serious films. Yes, uh, in the last uh, twenty five years. Yeah, but he started making really like sex comedies, raunchy with, sex comedies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Woman Which was, on the verge I of think, a like emerged breakdown. from like post Franco Spain, where people were like feeling a new sense of freedom and vitality right. and energy, and he very much sort of represented that new wave of of Spanish uh, artists post Franco. Right, and, and this is a, the first movie that's like really dealt with like the franco regime from what i can think of i I don't have like all of his movies off the top of my head but um it's one of the this is one of those ones where like because a big part of it is like the excavation of a grave site of people who have been executed during the civil war um well it it mainly it it mainly starts the film and ends the film and it's it's, right but yeah it's it's one of his few films i feel that uh overtly is political uh you know there is certainly political aspects and you know you could say every film is political yeah but it's it's one of the few that like actually deals with the history of the country of spain yeah right yeah but this is one where i mean it's so easy in our world to sort of forget that you know only like 30 years ago germany was not you know the country it is now it was two separate countries divided by a wall and that 50 years ago spain was ruled by a fascist regime you know that like executed political opponents that to be sort of reminded of how recent that history really is and that people alive now or you know have memories of people who were you know killed or you know people who are alive now have memories of you know family members who were killed and uh you know terrible political regimes that i thought it was like really really refreshing that like a funny like entertaining really engaging a movie where like you're sort of like what happens next also was like really sort of complex in dealing with spain's history which you know for people who live in spain obviously it's much more present for them that 
you know, they lived under a fascist regime for, you know, 40 years, but it's not really something we ever think about in America. Well, um, and it really brilliantly, but not over does it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the main, it's not like it's all about that. Like there's no. another emotional through line that carries right. us to these different places. And they both are questioning what does it really mean to be family mm-hmm. and how do the decisions and the events that happen and early in our lives affect the whole rest of our lives yes and yeah i mean i i said uh when i saw this film there's certain directors when you're watching their new movie you just kind of relax because you just know you're in the hands of a master and they're just so good at doing it and i i was reading on twitter that some people were saying that they think that Amadovar is almost underrated as one of the great filmmakers working today because mm-hmm. he's just so consistently good that like every few years he has like a really, really good film and that it's just like, oh yeah, Amadovar has another really good film, but it's like, it's almost like because he's so consistently good that- You take it for granted. Like, right. Yeah. And it's, I, it's just like- uh, I, I think that he really is one of our best writer directors and he's certainly what you would call an auteur. Definitely. V- visually his themes, you know, yeah. And I don't know if he's of- like always been doing this, but like for this one, like it, when for like credits, it doesn't even say Pedro. It's just Elmo Navar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which like, I love as soon as I saw that in the opening credits, I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm seeing a new Pedro Elmo Navar in a theater. I like could not be more excited. What's well, like, I saw the new Woody Allen movie and it's like, almost every single film he's done has the black screen with the white font, the same mm-hmm. font and the cast list alphabetically. It's like, you know, you're watching Woody Allen movie because uh-huh. it's like his opening credits are like always the same. Yeah. And I just think that Penelope Cruz, she said, this is one of the toughest roles she's done. Yeah. She's just, you know, beautiful in it and she's great performance and it's a rich, complex character. And I remember one critic was saying like, there are scenes where like she's just sitting in front of a computer and she does better acting than like anyone else this <laughs> yeah. year almost. It's like she's just like looking at a computer screen. Um, yeah, it's but it's, I mean, would it, you describe this as like a melodrama? And and not in a negative way. It's yeah. like it's the best version. It's almost like I mean, I, I know that Amadovar is a big fan of Douglas Sir. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this film is so rich in its emotions, it mm-hmm. is, you know, heightened and there's twists and turns. Like if you really wrote the plot down, this could be like a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But but he he does it with such conviction, the actors and his writing, that you buy it completely. And and he mixes humor and sex and history and it's just like death it's so, and stuff like that. And it's yeah, and it takes really unexpected turns. Yeah. Like there's things that, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen a movie that's like, not like a horror movie where there's a reveal partway through the movie where there was, I could hear audible (gasps) in the audience, (laughs) Uh you know, you probably know what I'm talking about, but it's, um, yeah, I just thought it was a really, I mean, Pain and Glory, I thought was one of his best movies he's done. Um, And I think this is just another top tier. It's like, there's so few of his films that are not, especially in the last 25 years since he's yeah. done, you know, the quote unquote more serious ones. It's like 
it, there's so many of them that are so good that this is just another one. Would you think this is like a good one for people who have never seen any of his movies to sort of serve as an introductory or would you I, advise people to, to seek out his other ones before seeing this? I would say that, that there would be no issue with starting with this one if you've never seen it. Like, I wouldn't say that like Pain and Glory would be a great one because it's kind of about Amadovar, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, I would say the best one to start with probably is Woman uh, on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Yes. Uh, or if you That's very it, representative of like silly, really like hyper, like colorful right. visuals, like crazy stuff happening in the frame I, at all times. I, I would say though, that if you were gonna watch uh, just one of his other films that's more as like a companion piece I would watch like all about my mother mm-hmm. um, or even though I, I haven't seen this one uh, I you know Volver because she plays a mother in that one mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. yeah I thought this was it's, fantastic yeah um, and it's like it's one of the great uh, Almodovar and Penelope Cruz it's like one of the great um, you know pairing of director and actor and you know yeah it's like really getting years. up there with like De Niro and Scorsese or, or something like that right um, which it's interesting i have not seen this film but uh the first film she was ever in is called live flesh and like she's only in like the first scene of the movie and she plays a woman who's giving birth which is interesting oh wow he said that yeah i mean he, was, like, he obviously years, has a real mother fixation <laughs> well it's like he said uh in interviews that even when she was like 20 years old and she was like you know not close to being a mother in real life that mm-hmm. he always thought of her as having this maternal aspect and not just you know as a lot of people see her it's just like you know obviously very beautiful yeah like a sex symbol right and that you know it's like i also liked how uh one of the people uh, film critic i'm friends with on facebook rewatched all about my mother and it's funny how like almodovar is considered like one of these great masters like of you know he's in his early 70s now yeah but like you know all about my mother is like about transvestites transgender people and it has a nun who gets pregnant and gets aids and it's like <laughs> his movies are like pretty outrageous still sometimes yeah. i mean this one not so much but they're still kind of uh, there's i'll say he's never made a movie it's interesting he's never made a movie that wasn't r-rated or nc-17 in mm-hmm. the united states you know if, if they've been rated mm-hmm. um and this one is not one of his most like outrageous movies, but there's still things you wouldn't necessarily take your grandmother to see it. No, but I'm, I think this is definitely like one of his more human ones as well. Like um, obviously uh, as like a great stylist, that's sort of a big part of his movies. And it's not that it isn't for this one, but in like no way is it like style over substance or like all flash and, and no substance because I mean, this is like, it's like one of those great movies that like really has everything like you know makes you laugh makes you cry like makes you think about stuff makes you like wistful and stuff like that um so it just it contains all aspects of of human emotions and it's really one of those ones where it's not often where you're watching a movie and you're like oh my god i have no idea what's going to happen next but it it really is exciting when you get to experience something like that and this very much was that well i think this is a great compliment is that a lot of his films could be done as plays but mm-hmm. they're really works of cinema like like he he's not just like a really good writer i mean that's where it starts and a huge part of the success of his films is this is the screenplay mm-hmm. but he really is interested in production design and how he moves the camera where he yeah. places the characters on screen it's he is certainly not just like a really good 
writer, but he's a, a real auteur as a writer director. Definitely. I mean, so by far the best of the three films, I think. Yes. Yes. I think so by far as well. And I'm um, this, like I said, was uh, after it premiered at Venice and Penelope Cruz won best actress there. This was getting a lot of buzz. I don't necessarily think it's at the forefront of everyone's mind at the moment, but who knows what's going to happen. Do you think in a part of so. it is that, that he's just, his movies are so consistently good. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, they're not yeah. going to not, it's, it's like never going to surprise you. Like, oh, wow, yeah. you seen the newest one? It's way better than I thought it was going to be. It's like, of well, course it's like, it was think, great. <laughs> it's like Del Toro, I think, uh, is higher on the Oscar odds to be nominated for Best Director, but like yeah. Parallel Mothers is a more successful film. Yes. Uh, and I think that with Amadovar, um, I think that the like the two most likely nominations that we'll get are Best International Film. I think it's yes. almost certain. Uh, even though it's weird sometimes, like there have been times where there have been films that have been nominated for multiple Oscars, but not Best International Film, Best Foreign Language mm-hmm. Film. Or like the weird fact that Pan's Labyrinth won like three Oscars, but it didn't win Best Foreign Language Film, The Lives of Others did, which is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of odd that like <laughs> the one that got all these other nominations <laughs> yeah. and won a bunch it didn't win the best foreign language film. And there've been multiple ones that have been nominated for best director and the film wasn't nominated like another round. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems like if they're going to have the fifth slot by a foreign director, it's going to be the director of drive my car, but I could see Almodovar's putting it, or maybe the director of the worst person in the world. Yeah. Who knows, but yeah. uh, It'd be cool to see Penelope Two Cruz. very I, exciting foreign movies that I still have not yet seen. So maybe. I, just, I really don't want Gaga to be nominated. Well, that seems like it's very much more just about who it is than like what the actual role is or whether and she's, she's wonderful and she's wonderful in A Star Is Born, but she's just so not that interesting. From what I understand, I still haven't seen it. Is that it's just sort of like a joke, um, and she's doing yeah. like a really over the top accent, but uh, yeah. Let's 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 not be upset about who's going to get nominated. And let's the Oscars just enjoy that Parallel Mothers is out and a new Almodovar movie is out and it's really 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 good and I highly recommend anyone interested in in movies to to seek this out because I mean, it's it's really really outstanding. Um, and Almodovar is just one of those directors. He has a new film. You should go see it. Like no, it's like all you need to know is he has a new film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, finished with the best one last. Um, we are heading into, I think the nominations actually come out pretty soon, sometime in February. Um, but yeah, we're getting down to it. Uh, the not too much. Guild. <laughs> the DJ like about, up I think pretty up. much every other nominee, all the other nominations have come out. Yeah. You know, the Oscars are last. But yeah. Um, so this yeah, is the sort of doldrums of the, the movie calendar where not too much like, interesting stuff is actually coming out. Like this past weekend, like there like actually was not any new release, like yeah. big movie, like Parallel Mothers opened in many more theaters, but like there wasn't a new movie that opened on yeah. uh, 600 plus screens. Yeah. But so, I don't want to see the King's Daughter, with <laughs> whatever that was, with Pierce Brosnan and uh, William Hurts in it. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's two movies that came out that had like a 30-something on Metacritic. So yeah, don't see the junk coming out in Hollywood right now. See the the great international movies that are are still in theaters. But highly recommend Parallel Mothers, Nightmare Alley. Good, not great. Don't look up. Big pile of shit. Um, (laughs) 
I I disliked it even more than you, I think. Yo, you definitely did. Because I at least like laughed four times, maybe. (laughs) It seems like you were just like angry. (laughs) And I saw it in a theater. Was there like laughs in the, how many people were in it? I saw it kind of late at night. And it was was like like just you, basically. There was a couple that walked out like two hours into the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I would have been interested in seeing that with like a big crowd because sometimes like you know laughter can be infectious so you find stuff funnier than it than it might be otherwise but i have a hard time thinking what would have gotten big laughs like well i i I, we don't want to go off on a tangent but i just (laughs) want to say there's something really fascinating with that talent that it barely got released in theaters because it's a netflix film yeah like i mean imagine like just five years ago, you said that there's going to be a film starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence and Meryl Streep and da 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 Kate Blanchett, and it's not going to play in many theaters. Like, no, it's unthinkable. It's, yeah. 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 I mean, it's like Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the few, few, few actors that I Who can't is a draw. Imagine. Yeah. Like, he is like a movie star. Like, I can't imagine him doing a TV show soon. Like, there's certain no. actors like Tom Cruise in him yeah. that, like, I mean, I wish Tom Cruise would do like a miniseries <laughs> on HBO instead of trying to do The Mummy and, you know. Mission like, Impossible 10. I know. But yeah, I just, uh, it's just really kind of weird to me that there's this massive list of actors and it's just, I don't wonder, I wonder if like the movie works better on Netflix, but it's, uh, you know, comedy works better with an audience, you know. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, but this is sort of the perfect Netflix movie. Like, oh, let me click on that because Leo's in it. It's got this great cast and it's sort of like, you know, buzzworthy. So it is, it is it's sort of the perfect representation of where we are in movies. And, Net- like, and Netflix likes you to stay on there as long as you want. I think if a studio had made this film, they would have said. Would have been shorter. Make, yeah. Yeah. They would have been like, it has to be under 215. You know, it should be closer to two hours. Yeah. I mean, I want directors to have final. No, Netflix but... is like, make it as long as you want. <laughs> just I, want Irishman. To... Yeah. I know. But, but we're dragging anyway. now. <laughs> All right. Carol Mother's big thumbs up. It's the biggest possible thumbs up. Uh, it, it, might, it will probably be making an appearance on my top 10 movies of, of 2021. But thank you for listening, and we will be back with you guys next time.